Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gore and Guilty Podcast. I'm Greg. And I'm Georgia. And today we're talking through what is a very famous case in the true crime community, in my understanding. Georgia, what is it we're covering? We will be covering John Benet Ramsey, which I thought it happened on Boxing Day, the 26th of December, so it's very topical for this time of the year, and I thought it was about time we covered this case. Absolutely, absolutely. And I feel like a bit of a true crime fan failure, because even though this is, from my perspective, one of the most famous cases, I don't really know anything about it. I'm so excited about that, though, because there's so many twists and turns, there's so many weird things that happen during this case, suspects and theories. So I'm excited to get your take on this case. Exactly. Fresh eyes. Maybe we'll solve it today. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Once and for all. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to going through this case because I'll finally be up to speed when people reach out to us about it and want our theories. So that'll be cool. Definitely. You mentioned that it's very topical for this time of the year. We're kind of recording this at a confusing time because it's before Christmas right now, but it will be post-Christmas when you lovely people are listening. Um, Yes, absolutely. So Merry Christmas, I guess. (laughs) Yes, Merry Christmas. Hope you had a lovely one. Happy holidays if you don't celebrate Christmas as well. But yeah, we hope you had a good time, especially in this uncertain time. So (laughs) make the best of... Of what you can, I suppose. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Have that extra glass of brandy and that extra helping of Christmas pud. Yes, absolutely. What are your plans for Christmas, Georgia? Talk us through the the Georgia Um, traditions. (laughs) I think we're, it's going to be quite a quiet one. Um, It's just going to be my immediate family and then quite a few days later we'll be visiting some of my dad's side, which should be really nice. And yeah, it's quite quiet. We normally, we get up, we have a little light breakfast before we gorge ourselves on <laughs> all the Christmas goodies throughout the day. And, you know, we might have a little glass of something at lunchtime and then let rip throughout the whole day. Then it's just <laughs> food and drinking <laughs> and playing games. It, yeah, it's, it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. You can't... What about you? What's your traditional Christmas? Well, I mean, it's kind of a, we're breaking tradition a little bit this year because I am going to be at my dad's house and we've got some slightly more extended family coming around. Not loads of people because of COVID, but just a few. And yeah. Yeah, we'll probably do the same, you know, a few board games, eat some turkey. I love a, I love mm-hmm. a board game on Christmas. You can't really... Yeah. Bit of, bit of Cluedo, maybe. Um, oh, that's a good game. Yeah, a bit of Monopoly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, yeah, there is something about board games in Christmas time, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just... Oh, maybe a bit of Trivial Pursuit, actually. I might brush up on a few. Maybe this case will come up. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> they should definitely do a true crime version. That would be cool. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, <laughs> copyright will put our stamp on it now. Like. <laughs> Can you imagine a little a board game with, like, trivial murder cases or like details and stuff and yeah or tm or whatever it is like trademark <laughs> <laughs> that's our idea um yeah but th- is this quite a big case should we jump into things i reckon we should dive straight in for sure let's do it let's dive in 
So as I mentioned before, we will be covering John Benet Ramsey. This actually occurred 25 years ago, and it is still unsolved. And word of warning, we will be discussing a death of a child in this episode, so if that isn't your thing, we understand. John Benet Ramsey was born on the 6th of August 1990. Her parents were Patsy Ramsey and John Bennett Ramsey. She had one brother who was three years older, called Burke. She had a few other siblings as well from John's previous marriage, but this family lived quite far away from them. Oh, okay, so the other siblings didn't live with John Bonet? No, no, um, and not in actually. I don't think they lived even in the same state as this takes place in America. By the time John Bonet was six years old, she was already an American beauty queen. Her mother would enter her into many, many beauty pageants. Oh, God. Yes. So you'll see some of her photographs that are they're, they're very f- famous because of this case. And she's just this beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed, really cute girl. Um, and yes, yeah, so she'd go in and compete into lots of these beauty, beauty pageants. And it's quite haunting really because there's lots of little videos of her uh dancing and doing all these things on stage and then to know what happened next it's just i don't know it's kind of eerie now looking back yeah i'm sure she was beautiful too i just i can't ever wrap my head around these child beauty pageants it's it must just be a cultural thing but we do not do them at all over here do we right that would be very bizarre no no it's really not that common here, I don't think, or all that we know of, I suppose. But it is a really weird thing. I, it, it, there's an element of really, it makes me quite uncomfortable. Like, you're sort of sexualizing young children and parading them in swimming costumes and things like that, which mm, I don't think at six years old, it's not, maybe not appropriate, but no, that's just my opinion. I share it as well, <laughs> but I think it's a cultural thing, like, that they just are into that in the States, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and they mean well by it, I'm sure. Her mother used to compete as well before, so she was very much heavily involved in, like, the beauty pageants scene. So, I think, yeah, each Mm. to their own, basically. (laughs) John Bonet and her family lived in Boulder in Colorado, USA. Her father, John Ramsey, was a businessman, and he was president of Access Graphics, which was a computer software company. He was married once before and had two other children, a son and a daughter, who lived elsewhere. In 1991, he and his family, family, moved to Boulder because the head office of Access Graphics was in that state. Okay. So now we move on to the fateful day. At 5.52am on the 26th of December 1996, Patsy called the police after finding a handwritten ransom note on the stairs. She reported her daughter missing. Now we're going to listen to the clip of that 911 call um, and then we'll get your opinions on it afterwards. Okay. That sounds good. Your daughter is yeah. gone. 
So after hearing that, what did you think, Greg? Well, there was a lot of, uh, it was very emotional, wasn't it? A lot of shouting, a lot of, a lot of screaming. Very intense. She's clearly very upset. And, well, you would be, wouldn't you, if your daughter's been kidnapped. Um, what was the stuff that happened at the end? The kind of, the stuff around, did she hang up? Did she not? So... The phone disconnects. Uh, some believe that Patsy hung up the phone herself and some believe it was accidentally connect- disconnected. It, there's there's a few things that made you stra- strange, but I think in that situation, you don't know how you're going to react. Your your daughter's gone. And she never mentions John JonBenet Ramsey's name throughout that and she always refers to it as my daughter, which some places deem that strange. I'm not so sure. I'm not. I'm not an expert in <laughs> in wording of nine one one calls, but it does seem pretty pretty intense. I'd say. Yeah, I think if I was reacting to a child gone missing, I, well, I don't know how I would react. But you know, there's varying degrees of you know. Some people are very composed and articulate, yeah. and would just kind of be going through it quite thoroughly, like the note says this, I need an officer now. She's clearly not one of those types of people. Um, She (laughs) was kind of the polar opposite. A lot of like, oh my God, oh my God, my daughter's gone. It's frantic. Yeah, very frantic. Yeah, good word. Frantic is is how you describe it. And um, I guess, look, you know, like I said, I I don't know a lot about this case, Um, but I think the the few things I do know... um, I, I imagine a lot of people go through that recording with kind of a fine tooth comb, but mm. um, I, from from like without knowing any of the details right now, I think yeah. like um, she, you know, clearly uh, was coming across as a as a, a mother with a lot of worry. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I'd say that's true for sure. Some internet sleuths have enhanced that phone call and apparently uh, during the end of the end couple moments of silence when they believe Patsy thought she'd hung up you can hear a male voice saying we aren't speaking to you and then a child's voice saying what did you find and this seems odd to them because during the 911 call apparently or when the police arrive 
Patsy says that Burke, the brother, was asleep throughout and actually slept for a few hours when the police arrived. So for them to hear a child's voice maybe in that phone call, it kind of sets a tone where the parents are saying one thing when there potentially might have been another thing going on behind closed doors. Did they live in a big house? Um, I think it was quite moderate. I'm not sure exactly on the size, but I think it was quite a nice house. I'm guessing, yeah, because he, the father, John Ramsey, sounds like he's uh, quite well off. I was just thinking, like, yeah, if, he's a big business if it wasn't a big house, it would be hard to think that a child would sleep through that shouting and screaming, like, my daughter's yeah. gone. Also, it sounds like she'd, as soon as she found that ransom note, she'd been hysterically crying, so... I'm surprised that everyone in the house would sleep through that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it just, yeah, it just seems slightly odd, but I mean, it's nothing too major. Three minutes after that phone call, the police arrive um, to the house. They perform a courtesy search of the household. They don't find anything to indicate forced entry. Uh, it was actually snowing at the time, so outside there were no footprints leaving, leading up to the property or leaving it, which is also quite odd. But maybe snow fell later on in the night and it covered up the footprints. I'm, I'm not sure, but it was. It did seem odd that there was no footprints surrounding the property. Officer Rick French said that during his inspection of the house, he entered the basement and when he was looking because he was looking for routes that the kidnapper may have taken he said that he came to a door which was secured with a wooden latch but decided not to go into it as it was closed from the inside so he he reaches this door there's a latch on it from the inside so he assumed that if someone was trying to use that as an exit it couldn't have been locked behind him or them Oh, okay, makes sense. Yeah. They wouldn't have been able to replace the wooden latch. Yes, exactly. So just bear that bit in mind. Um, So the police are treating this case as a kidnapping and they decide that the only room that they should cordon off is her bedroom to prevent contamination of evidence. Mm -hmm. However, the rest of the house had no precautions put in place. There was no restrictions of movement of people entering each room and everybody and their dogs pretty much entered this this household after news broke that this girl was missing Mm. they had friends visiting they had the family minister they had victim advocates they had many other people that would come in they would help and you know wipe down the sides and help clean up for the family because obviously they're going through turmoil um but people walking in and out this house and it's, it's a crime scene mm. like friends coming in that's seems like a bad idea doesn't it yeah it just so much evidence could be lost i think if there's a kidnapping you don't just cordon off the bedroom of the girl's house you know of the the girl's bedroom you, the whole house could have evidence in it especially if they didn't know how the kidnapper got in yeah exactly exactly and yeah it just seems odd really so in the ransom note, and I will later on go through this ransom note because, again, it's very, very strange. But within it, they mention 
that between nine, eight and ten o'clock, they will be making contact to re- request this money to be handed over. Between eight and ten, okay. Yes. John Ramsey began to make these arrangements to pay the ransom money, and at 8am, Detective Linda Arnd arrived to help with this, and they expected a call from the kidnappers to provide further instructions. But no one ever called or tried to reach out, ever, for this ransom money. Okay, that seems like kidnapping 101, but... Mm -hmm. So what happened? Did they? Well, I guess that's what you're going to cover for now. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound confusing. Like what? <laughs> no one, no one called. So bear that bit in mind also. So I'm just trying to. Dot, we're going to talk around all the different theories later on, but I just want to paint a picture of the events that happened throughout the day. So. Just under eight hours later, at 1pm, John Bonet's body was unfortunately found within the house. Oh my god. How many missing persons cases have you heard where they find the missing person within the property where the missing person's report has gone out from? Isn't that strange? Uh, Generally, I haven't. But I do remember one case, uh, Tia Sharp, who went missing in the UK and they found her in her grandparents' attic because it hadn't been searched properly. Oh, wow. Um, And her grandfather had actually actually killed her. It was a really sad case. But other than that, like nothing. Also, like all the people that were in this house, like where did they where did they find her in the house? Like, is it behind that room that you mentioned? Yes. So I hadn't heard of any anyone that had gone missing and then been found inside the house, but we might, maybe we should cover that case that you mentioned. It, yes. So it is strange. How many searches have gone on in this house? Like There's so many people in this, this building. And yeah, you are right. It was behind that locked door in the basement. That, poli- that initial police officer decided not to open that door and she was found behind it. That already gets the alarm bells going, doesn't it? Yeah, the door's locked why, from inside. Why was there a ransom note left? If a kidnapper accident, if a kidnapper accidentally kills a person while they're still in the house, they're not going to bother leaving the ransom note, are they? Ex- Unless they already have that, it. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's that is strange. It is strange. And so, John Ramsey and another family friend were sent to search sent to search the house to find out if anything was amiss or if they noticed something was missing or something seemed out of the ordinary. So they they went around the house and the first room they went to was the basement. And they went straight, basically, to where John Bonet was in the house. They... He was told explicitly, if you see anything that seems strange, do not touch. Do not touch. Let let us come in and let us do our thing. So, trigger warning. Um, John Bonet's mouth was covered with duct tape. She had... She had a nylon cord that had been wrapped around her neck and her wrists... And her torso was covered with a white blanket. And guess what? When John found her, 
he decided to pick her up to carry her upstairs and to take the duct tape off her mouth which this is a crime scene that's so much vital evidence <sighs> that's just yeah it's i mean i guess i can sympathize with not acting rationally but yeah um, yeah i mean it's frustrating at, at best isn't it it's frustrating yeah from a forensic or investigation standpoint but i understand that it is also his daughter but why why was he it's all very well and good the police saying do not touch anything suspicious you find why were they just letting him wander around the house on well, his own why wasn't there that's true you think that they escort yeah, him well, or you know come around with me is there anything you know and then what the fuck were they doing having a cup of tea putting their feet up while they're just like, oh go and have a little wander see if you find see if you find anything a bit weird and let us know go with him what the hell <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah that is true that yeah very good point actually i hadn't thought about that it just very strange so so i'll talk slightly through the autopsy so um they found that the official cause of death was asphyxiation, although she did have a fracture to her skull. So it seems as though she was hit over the head first and then asphyxiated or strangled. And the strangulation was occurred with a garrote, mm. which if you don't know what that is, I will explain. And it's not very pleasant. So real big trigger warning. So the nylon cord was wrapped around her neck and they actually used one of John Bonet's paintbrushes to put into the nylon cord and then to twist to make it tighten, basically, which is just so oh. That's horrible. What what was what was the nylon cord? Like where did it come from? Like a set of curtains or something? Um, I think, well, it was in the basement. I'm not sure quite what it was, but some sort of cord that maybe some someone had cut off. You know, like a, yeah. it could have been like a telephone wire or that kind of like, like a strong cord that wasn't going to break that they had found. And the paintbrush that they used, like I said, was John Bonet's, um, but it'd been snapped and the bristle end okay. has never been found. So they've only got the 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 other end, basically. Which is strange. There were also some marks on the back of John Bonet that some think that it could have been caused by a stun gun. Some don't think there's enough evidence to say that it was a stun gun. So that was also something just maybe to bear in mind. Um, but they did obviously rule it as a homicide. The autopsy also shows that the last thing that she ate was pineapple. It was undigested, so it was only consumed a few hours before her murder. Pineapple. Pineapple. Like, yeah. A Christmas, Christmas treat. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so on the day of the disappearance, there were photographs taken from around the house, and one in one of them there was a bowl that was sat on the kitchen side with pineapple in it and a spoon. However, when the parents were asked about this, both John and Patsy said they don't remember feeding John Bonet pineapple or putting that bowl on the table. Forensics showed that Burke's fingerprints were all over the bowl. 
However, the parents kept saying he was asleep throughout the night and only woke a few hours after the police arrived. Wait. So again, it doesn't... Uh, so her brother's fingerprints all over the bowl. Mm-hmm. And she would have consumed this pineapple a few hours before her murder. And she... So therefore, she would have consumed this pineapple during the night. What was her time of death? I'm not quite sure what the time of death was, but she, they, when they called the police, it was ten to six in the morning. What? They assumed she was already, she had already passed at this point. But what if she, what if she'd actually been killed at like I don't know, ten p.m. the night before, and you know she'd had pineapple at seven p.m. and nicked some of her brothers or something. Very true. I will. Look it up now for Let's you. Have a gander. Have a gander. And they might not know. Okay, so yeah, it's. I'm not sure quite when her time of death was. I have looked, and it's doesn't seem to be obviously anywhere. Um, but it does say that yeah, the the fruit was undigested. Everywhere you look, it sort of infers that it was a late night snack. Um, but yeah, it seems odd that. It's just a, an, yeah, an odd, an odd thing that occurred. You mentioned some photos. When were they taken? Were they taken on Christmas Day? Were they? They were photographs taken on the initial investigation. So when the police first did their search, they took photographs of all the rooms, uh, okay. and that's when they found the bowl. A bowl of pineapple sat on the side. Bowl of pineapple with Burke's fingerprints all over it. Interesting. Okay. And the parents don't remember feeding John Bonet pineapple at all the day before or that evening. So it seems as though that pineapple was. There was a moment where Burke and John Bonet were eating pineapple together the night before her murder. In December 2003, forensics were able to extract enough DNA from John Bonet's underwear to gain a DNA profile. The DNA matched an unidentified male. It was compared to 1.6 million DNA profiles and there wasn't a single match. And now this is really interesting. Uh, Many years later, forensics have revealed that the DNA found on the underwear could have actually been there from the manufacturer. Manufacturer. Can't say that word very well. <laughs> so they actually proved this by analysing an unopened packet of underwear, the same what the same ones, the same brand that John Bonet used, and they were able to extract enough DNA on them to get a profile. Oh, okay, so it's kind of useless then. Yes, and this is such a key piece of evidence throughout this case where all the suspects, they keep going, yes, but it's not that DNA. Yes, but it's not, you know, it could be them, but that DNA doesn't match. And now when they found this detail out, it kind of then blows, you've got to start, you know, you've got to start again. All of those things that you thought, you've built it all all up against this DNA evidence. And when this DNA is just inconclusive, it's not, it, it potentially has nothing to do with the crime. Well, then you've got to start again and build the case back up again, which 
it could have played a part to to why this is still unsolved. Yeah, I can see why that would influence decision making if they think that they've got DNA from some random man and actually it's just from whenever the pants got manufactured. Yeah. It's really interesting though. I didn't realise quite that clothing could hold DNA from the person that made them. And it makes sense, but it's something that I until this case I hadn't thought about. But does that not does it not render a lot of like DNA analysis on clothing as redundant? It could do. What happens if I'm killed now? If I'm killed now and someone runs DNA analysis on my jumper, mm-hmm. so I guess it could. They'd still have to. I guess it's useless until it's paired to a person, and that person is not the manufacturer. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that goes with a lot of like the fingerprint analysis and DNA. If if that person hasn't committed a crime before and their DNA or fingerprints are not on the system, it probably quite difficult until you found that person to then compare to if you work in a clothing factory you may have a head start on committing crimes you can just (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly but yeah interesting nonetheless so now we move on to the ransom note and i will read it out to, to you and then we'll discuss what you think of it because this is I think this is the weirdest part of it all Mr Ramsey listen carefully exclamation mark we are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction we respect your business business spelt wrong but not the country that it serves At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. Possession spelt wrong. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want to see her in 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw 118,000, and bear in mind there is a dollar sign, 118,000, full stop, 00. Throughout this letter, there's only one grammatical error and all like the punctuation is throughout. But they still can't spell business or possession. I'll continue. 100,000 will be in 100 bills and the the remaining 18,000 will be in 20 bills. Make sure that you bring the adequate size attaché, attaché spelt with the accent on the E, to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag and I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I'd advise you to get rested. Advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, then we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instruction will result in immediate execution of your daughter. You will be denied her remains for a proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you and and I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as the police, FBI, etc., 
will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert the bank authority, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. If you will be scanned for electronic devices and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement, countermeasures and tactics. You have a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you outsmart us, if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are un under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Don't use that good southern common sense of yours. It's up to you now, John! Exclamation mark. Victory! Exclamation mark. S B T C. And that is the ransom note. <laughs> There's just so many questions I have, or questions and comments. Like, whoever wrote that is weird. Just such a weird... It's so, so long. long. Yeah, what on earth? What did they write this it's on? Like, a a3 it's a ransom note. It's paper. so long. That's madness. <laughs> it covered two and a half pages. And ransom notes are usually short, straight to the point, with very minimal detail. It's, you know, give me your money. And this, you know... Don't talk to What's anyone. What's the point in doing a follow-up call we'll when you've got over. that many details in the fucking note? Right? <laughs> so many in a brown paper bag. And it's also very strange, the misspelling of certain words, like business and possession, which some, you know, some say that they're not particularly difficult words to to spell. And then, but they then can spell attaché with an accent on the E, and there's only one ever grammatical error throughout the whole ransom note. Are they trying to prove that they or trying to allude to being foreign by spelling a couple words wrong? Yeah, and it and it just it makes it seem sort of fake. And the foreign thing actually is is really interesting. It I read somewhere as well at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the note it says we're a small foreign faction. Most people that are foreign don't describe themselves as foreign. Like, whoever you are, you describe it as who you are. You don't describe yourself as like a third party. It's, it's yeah, weird. Yeah, no one would be like, I'm a foreigner. It might be like, I'm a Russian, I'm a no. whatever. Like, we're a... Yes, yeah, exactly. Also, why would you mention that? Yeah. Me... It would only... It would only be a person trying to distract from who they actually are. That's what I think. It's just so weird. And like, we are a group of individuals. Well, that usually is what a group is. A group of individuals. You know, it's like extra words. And it's just so strange. And another thing that's strange is the amount the amount of money that they require you know, the request for the ransom. Usually with ransoms, it's a, an extremely high number. 
118,000 isn't a particularly high amount. And the police have actually said that that's quite unusual how small it is. But not only that, the amount itself is strange because it actually happens to be the amount that John received that year for his Christmas bonus. Interesting. So whoever wrote this note knows how much money they received that year. Could be a colleague then. Potentially, yeah. I mean, well, it it's just it depends what sort of guy John Ramsey is, right? I think a lot of people wouldn't even discuss mm-hmm. that with anyone. I don't think, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't tell your I, friends, would you? At least I, not if you're a normal person. No, <laughs> exactly. I don't think you would, and especially not the exact amount. I think that. Um, It doesn't actually mention throughout this case anything to do with business partners or people at work. So it kind of alludes to the fact that potentially the family were the ones that knew the amount or the exact amount. Well, there we go. Could this be my fresh eyes bringing in a whole new take? Because I don't think that... I don't think you even discuss that with your family. I don't think... And you might tell your wife, like, oh, I got a really nice... Did you say it was a bonus? Yeah, you might be like, oh, I got a really nice bonus. But to go $118,000 bonus? I don't know if you would. I don't know. I, I, you know, I would probably discuss things like that with my partner. Oh, maybe Um, I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, you know, I think that... No, but that's interesting because I think there are certain certain topics that some people discuss and some people don't. I think, you know politics religion your vote who you vote for money all of those things a lot of people have different written rules for so i I think for most people it would be just the partner if anyone and yeah and then the only other people that would know a specific amount would be people you work with that would have some kind of insight into that sort of thing it was it someone that works with yeah he was like head of this company right he's president president maybe he's a bit of a Hard nut on the job. Yeah. Someone's pissed off because he's got a big fat bonus, um, and they got you know. Well, they do say at the end, what was it? Um, you're not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it could be, and also they mention his name a lot. It's John, John, John. It's not Patsy or or well, who else would it be? But yeah, yes, it's. Mm. Yeah, it's very much aimed at John, the husband. There there are a few details that are strange, you know, go to your account, go go to your bank. Um, the kidnappers in ransom notes, they're not usually interested in where you get the money from, but it was very much, it needs to be from your account. And there are a few lines in this that are quite similar to movies that have featured ransom notes in. And certain uh, ways it is written, the, the certain lines within it are very similar. So, for example, the four times that it's repeated, she dies, she dies, instead of she will die. And actually in the movie where that's from, 
the person that is kidnapped or supposedly kidnapped has already died. So people have looked into this and thought that this is written potentially in past tense, that she was already, she'd already been murdered by this point. It's it's a weird, and it might not make sense, but it's a weird thing that, you know, she dies, she dies, rather than she will die. But apparently those little things all add up. What movie is that, sorry? To the, to the experts. I'm not sure what movie it is. I need to look into it because there's, there's a few other movies as well where um, that line is from that kind of movie and that line. But I, I, will, I will look into that because that one's quite a big, big case, a uh, big movie. And and in that they repeat it four times within the within the note, but it's again it's just super weird. It's just what also makes this really weird. It was actually written on a notepad that was found within the household. It was actually John Bonet's notebook. There was also draft copies oh, in the bin. So this person has murdered John Bonet in the house. Then. They've got, taken the time to write some drafts and then write the ransom note, and it's two and a half pages long, and then leave that on the All stairs. Right, that's, I start to see why this case is getting so much attention now, because that is... Before, I was thinking, okay, I actually strongly believe this is some kind of colleague, or um, with the pageanting, I was like some absolute freak that has, you know, got attached to the family through that yeah uh i don't think anyone anyone oh god although i just thought of something really scary but i aside from that i don't think there's anyone that would spend that amount of time it's you're a committing lot a crime. of time also, it's a lot of time you know, unless john bonnet's restrained some i guess they did find him with duct tape over her mouth but what's the point that would be very bizarre but she was already strangled by this point. It's weird. No one would be idiotic enough to leave draft letters in their house, right? right. Well, it's just yeah that 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 alone is strange. Like, oh gosh, okay, that's not quite flowing the way I hoped it would. Okay, let's scrap that. Start again. It. It's weird. And handwriting experts have taken samples from John and they've taken samples from Patsy. John came back saying, no, not possibly yours. It's, it can't be you that wrote that note. Patsy's came back inconclusive. They could not decide whether it was her writing or not. Or whether it was someone trying to change their writing. Do you want to hear the really scary thing that I thought of? Go on then. <laughs> What if there was someone else living in the house that they didn't know about? Oh, can you imagine it was like, you know, one of our f- first episodes where strangers live in your house? Yeah. Because like, it could be, I mean, that, that sounds completely implausible, but we, like you said, we've covered cases where that's happened before, mm. and that's the only type of person I can think that would feel comfortable Spending time writing a letter over and over and over again, and B, not caring that they left the drafts in the bin. And maybe have overheard the amount of and, money. And, 
Yeah, they would have overheard the amount of money because they've been. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> have we just solved it? No. <laughs> <laughs> It, I think that's a pretty wild theory, but it's possible, it's right? It's a wild one. They, they, we already said they probably, ha- you know, pretty mod, like, you know, they live well, and decent sized house. How well did they search the household? If they if they missed her after eight eight hours, did they search the attic or other hidey holes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or did the person leave as soon as you know? As soon as I know, there was no footsteps, but maybe like they didn't need to because. Yeah. Do you remember that murder in that? case we covered and the murder the murderer stayed in the house after it happened he never left yeah all that yeah he could have just stayed oh i don't know i mean i haven't heard this theory before but it seems it's new sort of plausible new fresh (laughs) off the press this is what you come to gore and guilty for (laughs) yeah exactly As you know, this case is a really, really long one. And by now, we have discussed what happened before, who they were, what happened on the night of question, and the investigation afterwards. We've told you our strange theory, potentially plausible. We'd be interested to hear what you think happened next. So I will unfortunately be stopping this episode pretty quickly. Uh, We'll be doing two parts in this one. The next episode, we'll be discussing all the suspects and all the theories so far. But yeah. Awesome. I'm looking forward to reading some crazy theories on social media. Do you want to... Share the uh, share all the channels so that people can reach yeah. out and let us know their own crazy theory. Yeah, absolutely. So you can send in your emails to goreandguiltypodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at goreandguiltypodcast. Follow us on Twitter at goreandguilty. And on both of those platforms, you can share your theories. And yeah, we're interested to see what you come up with. You can subscribe review send us stars i know that spotify nowadays oh yeah doing stars give us some stars give us some stars give us some stars <laughs> it's so exciting um we really really appreciate you guys listening and remember we won't judge if gore is your guilty pleasure thanks for listening and have a great Bye. new year <laughs> merry christmas <Yeah>. merry christmas <laughs>